Greetings, and welcome to episode 39 of the Prometheus Project podcast. I'm your host, Richard Best. Thank you for joining me on this exploration of creativity. I have to apologize for skipping a week. I have had a kind of a crazy time here in good old Tallahassee, so things have calmed down a little bit, and I can get back to the things that are important, creativity. <laughs> so uh, for this episode, I want to talk a little bit about the monetary side of creativity. And I was inspired to record this episode after reading a book review in a recent issue of the New Yorker magazine. It was the uh, September 14th issue, to be specific. And just a quick side note, I love the New Yorker. Can it be pompous? Yes, on occasion. But seriously, if you want to expose yourself to some great writing, highly recommend the New Yorker. Not just for fiction and poetry. It's like every writer they publish is an amazing wordsmith. But anyways, um, I was reading this issue and I stumbled upon a book review written by Hua Hsu, a staff writer on the magazine. The book he reviewed is titled, and this is a mouthful, The Death of the Artist, How Creators Are Struggling to Survive in the Age of Billionaires and Big Tech. It was published by Holt Publishing and the, arth- the author is a critic named William Derishowitz. And uh, he interviewed 140 writers, musicians, visual artists, and filmmakers to see what it's like to work in the modern age, which sounds interesting. But basically, the book that he wrote is about how creators are dealing with the changes brought on by technology, which isn't something I'd really given much thought to. However, uh, Mr. Hsu, as is the way with the New Yorker book reviews, analyzes not just the book, but the ideas behind it, and provides context to the arguments. In fact, he opens the review with a quick story about Venus de Mars, who is the lead singer of a fairly well-established rock band in Minneapolis, Minnesota, established in that they've been around for over 15 years and have released six albums and done some fairly national-sized tours. So completely legit, right? Apparently, they're not legit, according to the Minnesota Department of Revenue. They decided to audit Miss DeMars and determined that all her music-related deductions, her business expenses, weren't legal. Their argument was that Miss DeMars wasn't an artist. And why did they determine this? Because she was spending more money on her business venture than she was making. So they claimed she owed them thousands of dollars in back taxes, despite the fact that she was a well-known musician. After a year and a half of fighting in court and spending an additional twelve grand on legal fees, she finally won, and the Minnesota Department of Revenue backed off. Of course, the icing on the cake is that they ended up having to give her a refund. <laughs> so, sort of a happy ending, right? But this brings up some interesting topics. Uh, before I get into those, I'd like to run over a little history first. Let's go back to the Renaissance era. Of course, back then, artists lived and died by the whims of the elite. There really wasn't an art market at that point in history. Instead, artists, the painters, writers, etc., were usually paid to create things by the rich. Works were created on commission, and patrons would provide living expenses for an artist as long as they were creating things their benefactors approved of. Obviously, not a perfect system. 
Artists weren't necessarily creating what they wanted, but they were creating what their patrons wanted. So they were getting paid to create, which is good. But still, you know, Da Vinci and others were able to do their own projects on the side, so there was good and bad. But according to the book author, things began to change in the 18th century after the Enlightenment. That's when art began to replace religion as a form of entertainment. Instead of people reading the Bible, they'd instead read a book of fiction, or they went to plays instead of church, or they went to concerts instead of mass. Artists began to see themselves as independent from their previous benefactors, and even from the church. Thus was born the idea of the starving artist. In other words, instead of relying on a benefactor to pay their way, the artists were sacrificing economic stability in order to create as they saw fit. They were no longer beholden to any one or any entity. Independence meant freedom, freedom to create and express themselves. For what it's worth, I like that. Now, one of the lines that Hsu quotes from the book resonated with me. It goes, Libraries, theaters, museums, and concert halls became the new cathedrals, places where you went to court the old emotions of catharsis, transcendence, redemption, and joy. To me, that's a beautiful way to describe the love of art, of creation, and the power that art can hold over people. Now fast forward to the 20th century. In the United States, coming out of the Depression, we had an economic program called the New Deal. One of the aspects of it was what Hsu refers to as the, quote, institutionalization of art, unquote. And that's a fun one to say. What this meant was art was beginning to be seen as something that was good for the public, including, you know, the creation of masters of fine arts programs and it delineated distinctions between amateurs and professionals, between highbrow and lowbrow art. Art was becoming more commercialized, a commodity, an industry. Artists earned their money through sales in bookstores, galleries, theaters, and new industries rose up to accommodate the artists through distribution and sales. But then something changed. When the internet became publicly accessible through cheap online service providers, it looked like a new frontier was opening up, much like the uh, westward expansion here in the U.S. back in the late 1800s. It was new ground for artists and creators. It not only gave them more control over their output, but also helped to expose them to a wider audience. That delineation between amateurs and professionals also began to blur as the internet allowed art to evolve. For example, a comic strip and comic book creators didn't necessarily have to struggle to get into the big newspapers or the comic book houses like Marvel and DC. No, now they could simply set up a website to host and sell their own work. Musicians, instead of being beholden to the big record companies, could also host and sell their own music or set up their own deals with streaming services. And of course, writers could now be more, could more, now more easily self-publish. No more trying to get the attention of an agent or a publishing house. The world via the internet was now open for all artists, regardless of experience or talent level, and it allowed them to show their stuff. But, and this is a big but, no pun intended, it also has a downside. While the internet has leveled the playing field for artists and creators, it's also caused what I see as several fundamental shifts in the art arena. First, it's sort of demonetized art to a drastic degree. I mean, the biggest example of this is in the music industry. 
Now, when Napster, LimeWire, Kazaa, and later Pirate Bay hit the scene as easy ways to upload and share music, the industry freaked out. And rightfully so. Big-name bands sued, and the sites either shut down or changed their business model to accommodate the music makers. But the damage was already done, and file sharing never really went away. In fact, it's expanded to include books, movies, TV programs, software, and of course, pornography. Pretty much any artistic creation that can be digitized can be found, for free, on the internet. Obviously, this is going to hurt the creators to a certain degree. And I say this because there's an argument that can be made that file sharing can, in fact, help creators. For example, someone may never have heard of me as an author, but they happen upon one of my ebooks on, on a Pirate Bay. And they may find they enjoy my work and end up buying a legitimate copy of my next book. There's also the argument that file sharing isn't much different than buying a book in, say, a used bookstore. The author never sees a dime of that, but people are still buying and reading their work. And then there are libraries where people can check out not only books, but also movies and music. And again, the creator doesn't see a single penny from these rentals. In this situation, or situations... The creators have to weigh in on which is more important, immediate money or better exposure of their output. The other big issue to consider is the fact that, as I mentioned a moment ago, the boundaries between professional and amateur have blurred. To me, this is again a mixed blessing. What I mean is, I think it's fantastic that anyone with any level of talent can express themselves and their ideas, can have a platform to display their creativity. To me, that's important, not just because it levels the playing field and provides more opportunities for creators, but I think it's beneficial in that it allows people to feel a sense of power and control over their creative work. But like I said, there there is a downside, and that's because the online market is oversaturated. It used to be that back in the pre-internet days, you'd walk into a bookstore or a music store and see everything organized into categories by genre and alphabetized by author or, or band, and you'd see a lot of familiar names. But now when you go online, say to Amazon or Barnes & Noble, there's almost too many options, too many unfamiliar names, too many decisions to make, and yeah, it can be overwhelming for the consumer. And let me clarify for a moment. I am not saying that this is the end of art as we know it. I think that allowing more people into the game is a good thing. If someone wants to explore their creativity, they should be encouraged. Plus, think about how it used to be. The art world was a bit of a castle. If you did something that was noticed and liked, then they'd, hey, they'd lower the drawbridge and you were let into the castle. But it was a very elite club and not everyone could gain entrance. Most of us were outside the walls, waving our arms in the air, trying to gain the notice of an agent or a publisher or an industry insider. It was much more difficult to get noticed and to get in. Now, that castle still exists, but the crowd outside is thinning. And people, the creators, now have other options. These new options may not necessarily earn them as much money, but there's more opportunity to get noticed and maybe build a small audience. And who knows? Maybe someone, one of the elite, will take a liking to your work and decide to become your patron, just like in the old days. And there's a key point. Money. I know a lot of creative people feel, and rightfully so, that they should be compensated for their efforts, for their art. Completely agree with that. But we have to be realistic. 
there's so much creativity out there, people doing all sorts of wonderful things with words, with paint, with music, clay, video, glass. It's mind-blowing, to say the least. But while I think it's wonderful that everyone who wants to express their creativity has a platform, it's a mixed blessing because it also means it's harder to get noticed and much easier to get lost in the crowd. And please understand, I'm not telling you all this to dissuade you in any way. Quite the opposite. If you've been listening to my podcast or following my blog or anything I do, you know that I think creativity is important and I encourage everyone to find their creative voice. But I also want to make sure that you aren't jumping into this thinking or expecting to make a living at it. Except for a rare few, you're going to need to keep that day job. And just to give you a little more perspective on that, according to this review, Spotify, the streaming music service, recently sent a letter to its shareholders in which they said the days of top 40 music were over. Why? Because there's so much music out there, so many options that... In their words, it's more like a top 43,000. With so many musicians making music, it's difficult to quantify exactly what's popular anymore. The same thing is going to happen in the book arena, too. It's easy to slip into a rabbit hole while scrolling through the Kindle bookstore on Amazon. There are so many books, so many options, that it can be difficult to make a decision. And in turn, with the market so oversaturated, how can we continue to have these top 10 lists? And I'm, again, not trying to dissuade you, but don't necessarily count on sites like uh, Patreon to support you. In 2017, only 2% of creators on Patreon earn more than the federal minimum wage here in the U.S. Of course, that really shouldn't matter too much. I mean, if you're like me, you create because you have to. We have a need to create. We have these words, images, sounds in our heads, and we have to do something with them. The point, however, is that we can't expect to support ourselves with our art. If we're lucky, any money we make off our art will be a nice supplement to our income. You know, maybe it's grocery money for the week, or maybe to help pay your rent every so often. And this isn't a bad thing. In fact, this may eventually turn in our favor. What I mean is, there are a lot of people who create because they think there's money in it, or they do it only because they think they should get paid. Eventually, I'll find out that it's not a sustainable way to make a living and turn to something else, which leaves the rest of us, the ones who create because we have to and because we love it, that gives us more opportunities to get noticed and perhaps make more sales. I mean, personally, I'm not a fan of the commercialization of art. Sure, I'd love to be able to do it full-time and make a comfortable living, but I know that's a long shot, like winning a million-dollar lottery. So I keep myself grounded. You know, if I sell a couple of copies of my book every month, I'm happy. And for you, dear listener, I hope you feel the same way. Again, I'm not trying to discourage you. I just want you to see the reality of the situation. Art is important. Your voice and your vision are important. So don't give up if you aren't getting a lot of attention or a lot of sales. Money should be secondary to your imagination. I think that, I think that if you're in it for the money, well, then you're doing it for the wrong reason. Create because you want to, because you need to, and because you want to add some beauty to the world. Don't give up if you don't see the money rolling in. Just keep creating. And I know this episode went a little bit longer than usual, but there was a lot I was trying to cram in here. 
However, I still want to squeeze in a show closeout exercise for you, and I'll keep it very simple. Create something with money as the theme. As always, it can be anything you can imagine or dream up, a story about bank robbers, uh, and hey, maybe a new design for paper money in your country. Or maybe write a song using loose change as one of the instruments, a la Money by Pink Floyd. <laughs> be creative, be silly, see what you come up with. And of course, I hope you enjoyed this episode and you got something useful out of it. If so, please let me know. Leave a rating, tell your friends. Uh, until next time, please be safe, be kind, be creative. Cheers. <laughs>